swept through blood. So today we're going to focus on that third topic, which is related to the blood of Jesus, and that the blood of Jesus is the blood of that covenant, okay? How the blood of Jesus is so tied up is the foundation, the only reason for us to enter into that new covenant that we have with God. Amen? I want you guys to interrupt me and ask me questions. Uh, it might be a little bit, mm, I'm not sure how we're going to receive this, but it's a little bit heavier, uh, even when I was studying, it's a little bit deeper. So um, feel free to stop me, ask me questions. I don't want this just to go over our heads. If I'm fast, tell me slow down or ask questions or anything like that. Amen? All right, so there are six scriptures in the New Testament that connect the blood of Jesus to the new covenant. It's not just one time thing that was mentioned. That's a multiple time incidents in the scripture where the blood of Jesus is so tied up to the new covenant. Let's read uh, these six scriptures. Everything is in your notes. Um, the first one is in Matthew 26, 28. When Jesus was doing the Lord's Supper, he told his disciples, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He also said about the same thing in Mark 14, 24. And he said to them, that's Jesus, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Same scripture, same incidents, quoted again in Luke 22, 20. And likewise, the cup after he has eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That's third scripture. Number four, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. Here's what Paul said. In the same way, also referring to the Lord's Supper, Paul was saying, In the same way also he, that's the Lord Jesus, took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All right, four scriptures. Five, Hebrews 10, 29. How much worse punishment? We spoke about that uh, verse before. How much worse punishment do you think he will be deserved? The one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned, what? Read this. The blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. So, blood of that covenant, again. And the last scripture is Hebrews 13, 20, where is what the author of Hebrews said. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, how did he bring him up by the blood of the eternal covenant? You guys see, this is not just a, like a, a one random scripture here or there. These are six references in the scripture, in the New Testament, where the blood of Jesus is just so tied up to that covenant. So what does it mean? Why is it that the blood of Jesus is so tied up so many times to the covenant, the new covenant that we have with God? Well, let me just start by saying that the Greek word for the word covenant is um, diatheka. Probably I'm butchering that pronunciation, but something like that. The Hebrew word for it is bereath, which um, comes from the word bara, which means to bind or to fetter. And the word, in a way, means to, to bind. The, the covenant word in Hebrew means to, to enter into a, a, a bondage, in a way, to bind two together, to fetter two together, okay? And then the Greek word comes from that afterward. So when we say that we entered into a covenant with God, that means there is a bind, something that 
fettered us with God. We connected with God on a certain level through that new covenant. And that's what the Bible is saying here, that covenant is a bondage between two people. Now, what we're going to do is this. We're going to talk about three points. Um, today, we're going to talk about the biblical background. What does it mean that the blood is the foundation for the covenant? Next week, Lord's willing, we talk about the terms of that new covenant and the characters of that new covenant. The reason why we're going to study a little bit more about that covenant, because we're going to see today that this covenant was only possible through the blood of Jesus. And next week, when we study how great that covenant is, that will show us how powerful and how amazing the blood of Jesus is that because of that blood that we can enter into that covenant with God. Amen? So today we're just going to try to understand why is it that the blood of Jesus was needed or was a must for us to enter into that new covenant with God. Amen? All right. So in the scripture, there are two covenants. There is the old covenant and there is the new covenant. When Jesus was referring during the Lord's Supper and say, this is the blood of the new covenant. And he was telling that to his disciples. He was actually making a reference to a scripture in the Old Testament. Probably the disciples knew immediately what he was referring to. Okay? And that is Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. That's when Moses in the Old Testament was inaugurating, uh, starting, initiating the Old Covenant with the nation of Israel. We're going to read about that in a bit. So when Jesus would say, this is the blood of my covenant, everybody understood. That's his reference in the Old Testament. That's what he was talking about. And then there's another passage in the scripture, and that's in Hebrews chapter 9, that also talk extensively about how the blood and the covenant are connected together. Amen? Follow me so far? So we're going to look into two scriptures, two passages today that trying to understand how and why the blood of Jesus was essential to enter into that covenant with God. The first passage is the Old Testament reference that Jesus was referring to in Exodus 24. And then we're going to look also in Hebrews chapter 9. So we're going to read Exodus 24. You can turn in your Bible or you can read it with me here. Okay. So here is the background of that verse. Exodus 24, 1 to 11. Then he said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. We talked about that last, last time I was here. Verse 2. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Okay, verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words that the Lord of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down, so that's the rules of the Old Testament, that's the law of God. And Moses wrote down all the words of the, of the, of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an, an altar at the foot of the mountain. This is a, a specific altar, just an FYI. This is a note here. This is a specific altar that Moses built specifically for that, the covenant, okay? Because we read in the Old Testament about the altars in the tabernacle. This is not the altar in the tabernacle. As a matter of fact, the tabernacle was not even built yet at that point. 
So Moses built a specific altar to inaugurate that covenant with God. He built it at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel, and listen to this, who offered burnt offering and and sacrificed peace offering of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half, here is what Jesus was referring to. And, G- and Moses took half, uh, sorry, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. So the first thing that Moses sprinkled was the altar that he just built. Nobody of the people was sprinkled yet, correct? He just took half, split it, took the half, and sp- already sprinkled all the altar and kept the other half for a while. Verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Okay. And Moses took the blood, the second half, and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant. Here is the exact phrase that Jesus was referring to when he talked with his disciples, when he was starting the Lord's Supper. And he said, Moses, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you according with all these words. You guys seeing what's going on here? Moses did not sprinkle the people till they agreed first that they're going to obey God. And when they agreed they're going to obey God, Moses sprinkled them after that. But when it came to the altar, Moses sprinkled the altar right away. They didn't wait for anything. Verse 9, then Moses and Aaron... Well, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There um, was under his feet, there was under his feet, at is um, where a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven of clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, ate and drank. This is a difficult scripture. Ate and drank at the feet of God. And the Bible says they beheld God. So, remember when Moses slaughtered the, the, the sacrifices, there was two kinds. There was the burnt offering and there was that peace offering, which is a fellowship offering. So, it is a, a normal custom of cutting covenants in the Old Testament that when two people or two groups, two parties... Make a covenant that after they make the covenant, they sit down and eat, okay? And we have an example of that actually in Genesis when Laban, that's the, uh, Jacob's uncle, when they cut covenant together in, in Genesis 31, 54, here is what it says. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. After they made the covenant with Laban, they sat down and ate bread. And they ate bread and spent the night in the hell country. So the reason why, I think, here um, in Exodus 24, they sat down and ate with God, you know, is that because it's a custom of cutting a covenant. After people make the covenant, they sit down and enjoy a meal. Okay? So that is the Old Testament reference to the blood of the covenant. Now, in the New Testament, we read another passage, rather a difficult one, about how the blood is connected to the covenant. And that is in Hebrews 9, 15 to 22. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. 
Therefore, he, that's Jesus, is a mediator for a, of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Listen to this. Since death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. For where there is a well or a covenant, this is a tricky word, where there is a will or a covenant involved, that death of the one who made it must be established. Verse 17. For a will or a covenant, we don't know how we should read this word yet. For a will or a covenant, take effect. Listen to this. Verse 17. Take effect only where? At death. Since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is still alive. What the author of Hebrews is saying here, when you write a will, okay, I'm going to give half my money to my wife and the rest of it to my kids. When does this will actually become legal, come abiding to people? When does it work? When I die. As long as I'm alive, my wife and my kids cannot have any of my money, right? So that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here, that unless death happened, covenant or will, that we're trying to figure out what he's saying here, can never legally be binding for anybody. Amen? Verse 19. For when every commandment of the law, now he's referring to Exodus 24. For when every commandment of the law, remember his, uh, I apologize, verse 17. For a will or a covenant take effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. The author of Hebrews saying here that death has to occur and blood need to be shed for the covenant to take place, just like a well. That's why even the Old Testament, when Moses started the Old Testament covenant, there has to be death there. It wasn't a death of a person, it was a death of a sacrificial animal, okay? Verse 19, for when every commandment of the law has been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats, and goats with water and uh, scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tents. Now, verse actually between verse 20 and 21, there is a gap. Okay, this is not the same incidence. Verse 20 is reference to Exodus 24 when Moses inaugurating the covenant. Verse 21, now he's referring to the uh, sanctification of the tabernacle that was built years after that. Okay, or maybe a month or a while after that. So there's a, actually two reference here between verse 20 and 21. It's not the same incidence. So verse 21, and in the same way, he did something else. He sprinkled with the blood both the tent and the vessels um, used in worship. Indeed, and that's the scripture we preached about two weeks ago. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no purification or forgiveness of sin. So verse 16 and 17, we read that tricky word. Word well or covenant. And actually, if you read the Bible translations, they all disagree on how we should translate this word. And in understanding this word in so many ways, the whole passage kind of hanging up. Because if we take that word as a covenant, we can understand the passage in a certain way. If we take it as a well, we can understand the passage in a slightly different way. And it, it is a hard one that even a lot of the Bible translations uh, disagree on it. We'll, we'll dig into that in a second. 
Anyways, um, so the word can either go as well or as covenant. We don't know yet how we should translate it. We'll, we'll dig into that in a second. Now, you guys follow me so far? Okay, good. Everybody with me? So there is two ways, there is two ways that we can understand how the blood is the foundation and the reason to enter into a covenant with God. There is two ways to understand that. We're going to study each one of these ways, each one of these possibilities in the light of these two scriptures that we read. And we're going to try to figure out how and why the blood of Jesus needed so that we can enter into the covenant with God. You follow how we're going to go from now? Good? Two ways to understand how the blood is needed to enter into a covenant with God. The first way, we call that the brotherhood blood covenant. We're going to talk about that in a second. And the second way is that the blood is used mainly for purification. So what does these two ways mean? And which one is actually better to understand how the blood of Jesus is needed to enter into the covenant with God? The brotherhood blood um, uh, covenant. So... We read about that, a similar thing, in Genesis chapter 15. If you guys recall what happened in Genesis chapter 15, God entered into a covenant with Abraham. And the custom of that time, when two parties or two people enter into a covenant, what they used to do is that they bring an animal, like a goat, a lamb, a sheep, a dove, whatever you want, and they actually split that animal into half, okay? And then... The party that is getting into that covenant, they actually, just like our setting right here, one half is half of the animal, the other side is the other half of the animal, and the party that is entering into the covenant, they walk in between these two split uh, halves of the animal. In a way, what they're kind of saying is this, I am going to abide with that covenant, and may what happened to this animal happen to me if I break the rules of that covenant. You follow me? So it's as if the person who's entering to the covenant say, may I die and be split into half if I break that covenant that I'm just making with you right now. Amen? And in Genesis chapter 15, we actually read that only God went through between the two uh, halves. Abraham didn't. Because God was saying, Abraham, you don't have to do anything in that covenant. It's all me. And I'm going to enter into that covenant and I'm obligated to fulfill every single thing I'm promising you in the terms of the covenant that I'm making with you right now. Amen? So that is the first way of understanding why the blood is needed to enter into a covenant with God. Let's apply that idea into these two passages, the one in Exodus and the one in Hebrews, and see if that's exactly what the Bible was referring to. If we look in Exodus, there are some uh, prose. There are some indicatives in that passage that tells us that's probably what the Bible is referring to here. Number one, in verse eight, we see this uh, phrase. Here is what Moses said. This is the blood of the covenant with Jehovah, which the Lord has cut with you. In the Old Testament, usually you don't say the phrase, I'm making a covenant. You usually say the phrase, I'm cutting a covenant. And why they use the word cut the covenant instead of making a covenant? Because it's a reference to cutting the animal into two pieces. And people say, let that happen to me if I break the covenant. All right. So the exact same word here that we read about in making the covenant in the Old Testament, we say that this is the covenant that the Lord has cut with you. So that might be a reference to the split animal. Number two, 
We read also in Exodus 24, if you remember what happened, the blood was divided, right? Half of the blood was sprinkled on the altar, and the other half was sprinkled on the people after they committed to follow God and obey His rules, right? So that might be an, um, a reference to the, the cutting of an animal that is needed for two parties to enter into a covenant. The fact that the blood was divided might be a reference to the animal that was divided in making the covenant, okay? Now, if we go to Hebrews chapter 9, let's, we're with the same understanding that the blood here is needed because it's a blood of an animal, a blood of a substitute that needed to be shed so that the two parties will say, let that happen to me if I break that terms of the covenant, okay? So that's why, with that understanding, the blood of Jesus will be needed. Let's proceed to Hebrews chapter 9 and see if that is the case. Well, there is pros to it as well. The, for example, we read that the word was translated as covenant. The NASV, the New American Standard Version, is actually the only translation that translated the word well or covenant in verses 16 to 17 as covenant. And what the New American Standard translators were saying here is that this is exactly the splitting of the animal so we can have a covenant with God. That's why the blood of Jesus was needed because it is the blood of a substitute that both parties are saying, let that happen to me if I break that covenant. So the NASV went to that translation. Um, number two, that the author of Hebrews actually um, kind of making a reference to that in verse 16. He says that, the death of the ratifier, the death of the one who is making the covenant, it, it, in, in the Greek, it actually says must be established. In a way, what the author of Hebrews is saying here is this. In order for the covenant to happen, okay, in order for the covenant to happen, the death of the one who is making the covenant must be established, how? Symbolically, in the death of the substitute animal. You guys follow me? So he's saying that, when we entered into the covenant with God, the blood of Jesus, Jesus was that animal, the substitute animal that needed to die and his blood needed to be shed so that God in a way saying, may that happen to me, may I die if I break the terms of the covenant that I'm cutting right now with the people, the terms of the new covenant. And that's why the death of the one who made the covenant in our case, in the New Testament, it's God, was established symbolically in the death of Christ. You guys follow me? Follow me? Go back. Questions? Questions, no questions? You either know everything, or <laughs> when there's no question, you either got it all or you got nothing at all. So, questions? Correct. So the idea here, if we understand Exodus 24 and Hebrews chapter 9, that Jesus' death of the cross and his blood was shedding on the cross was the exact same type of the animal that was cut into halves in the Old Testament. And when God, in a way, what the author of Hebrews might be saying here is this, God's Death. I know this is extreme words, um, I don't mean it, but God's death was established in cutting that covenant metaphorically or symbolically in Jesus' death on the cross. It's as if God is saying, may I die myself instead of that substitute animal 
if I break the terms of the covenant that I am making with the human race right now. That's, that's the idea behind these two, two passages. If we go with the route that cutting a covenant here is a reference to splitting the animals um, between, um, splitting the animals and the one who makes the covenant is walking before it. You guys follow me so far? So that's the first idea, okay? Now there's a problem with this idea. Yeah, 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 please. Yes. Correct, Abraham's covenant, yes. Correct. 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 Okay, so God made so many covenants in, throughout the Bible. For example, we read about the covenant with Noah. And each time, and the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses and the Old Testament, the covenant with us in the New Testament, that's just to name four out of many. There is more. And each time there's a covenant, there is a symbol associated with that covenant. For example, when he made the covenant with Noah, the sign for the symbol was the rainbow. That every time you see the rainbow, you remember that covenant with God. When he made the covenant with um, Abraham, the sign was the circumcision. This is just a sign of the covenant. But right now we're talking about how, how the covenant was made. The process of cutting that covenant. That's what we're referring to here. So, um, you know, like us in the Old Testament, the, the sign was just people obey God's law, I guess. Now it's just the Holy Spirit is in us. There's signs always associated with the covenant. But... Right now, we're talking about the process of cutting that covenant and how and why the blood of Jesus was needed for that covenant to, to take place. Okay? Okay. Clear like mud? Moving forward? Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I tr couldn't make it any simpler. I know it's a little bit difficult. It's, it was challenging for me to try to study this. But I think we need to dig into God's word and know exactly what it means and what it says. And why the blood of Jesus is essential to um, have a covenant with God. Now, the second understanding of why the blood of Jesus is needed. Uh, well, let me tell you. The problem with the first understanding is this. We have clear scripture in Hebrews chapter 9 that says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So, in a way, the author of Hebrews, when he was talking about cutting the old Testament covenant with Moses. He said, Moses brought the blood, he sprinkled the book, he sprinkled the people, and not only the book and the people, he did the tent, he did the vessels, and not only the tent and the vessels and the book and the people, that everything we know about in the Old Testament is actually purified by blood. And then he said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So in a way, in the same context where the author of Hebrews is referring to the Old Testament covenant, he's saying that the purpose of the blood was actually for purification. The reason why that blood was shed is to purify the people so they can enter into a covenant with God. So that scripture, that verse right there, just kind of makes it very difficult to go with the idea that Jesus' death on the cross was the... It was the the death of the animal, splitting the animal, is the type of Jesus dying on the cross and God walking in between to make the covenant. More like the author of Hebrews here clearly telling us that the purpose of that blood is for us to be purified. And that would be the second way of understanding why the blood of Jesus is needed for us to enter into a covenant with God. And here is why. We are defiled. We are sinners before God. Okay, And God is holy, right? And we said that the word covenant means what? 
a bound, a bondage, like a fetter. We, you know, when you put your feet in the Old Testament or the old times when they put your feet in a fetter, like Paul and Silas in prison, and when they're like, they're tied with their feet together. There's a bondage between them, right? And that is kind of the covenant that we're going to enter with God. We're going to have a bondage, a a special kind of bind with God. And because God is holy and we are sinners, we can't. But in order for that covenant to happen, in order for that relationship to take place, we need to be purified first. And that's why the blood of Jesus is absolutely essential for that covenant to take place. Because the blood of Jesus cleansed us before an eye, the eyes of a holy and righteous God. And now that God who is holy sees us clean, now he is willing and he is able to enter into that covenant with us. Good? So that is the second way of understanding why the blood of Jesus is important, is essential that we can enter into a covenant with God. So I'm going to recap so far and then we're going to move forward. So I just make sure that we're understanding everything. So there's two ways that we can understand why the blood of Jesus is essential for us to enter into a covenant with God. The first way is the blood brotherhood covenant that as the, the ritual of performing a covenant of the Old Testament, an innocent animal need to be slaughtered and split. So was the death of Jesus. And the death of the party that is making the covenant was symbolically established in the death of that innocent animal. So is, in our case in the New Testament, in a way, the death of God, I mean, God is kind of in a way saying, I would rather die than break that covenant that I'm making with you. And the death of Christ was symbolically establishing that. Amen? That's the first understanding. The, first, the second understanding, which I personally think more uh, uh, scriptural, like related to that, is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, his blood has cleansed us and has purified us from our sin, from our filth, from our defilement. Therefore, God who is holy is now willing and able to enter into a covenant with us. That's the second way of understanding why the blood of Jesus is essential to have a covenant. Good? So let's look into that understanding within uh, Exodus 24 and uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Don't hate me, please, okay? (laughs) All right. Um, In Exodus 24, we read that Moses sprinkled the blood on the altar, right? We read about that in Exodus 24. And that is actually uh, a well-established rule. God has said that in Leviticus 17, 11. He said this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood... And then he said, and I have given it to you upon the altar, right? God said, you sprinkle the blood on the altar. Why? To make atonement for your soul. So that can cover your sins before God. For it is the blood that makes atonement by reason of life. So we know that the reason why blood was always sprinkled on the altar, whether in the new, every time in the new, in the Old Testament, is that this is an atonement. This, the blood, covers our sins before the eyes of a holy God. And that's why Moses, in the Old Testament, divided the blood, took half of it, sprinkled on the altar, because he wanna cover our sins before the eyes of a holy and righteous God. Amen? But not only that, in Exodus 24, we also see that the blood was sprinkled on the people, right? And the only other reference that we see blood sprinkled on people in the Old Testament is actually um, 
in Leviticus chapter 8, in the consecration of Aaron and his sons, and the purification of a male healed from leprosy, that's in Leviticus chapter 14. So the other two incidents where we see in the Old Testament blood sprinkled on people, the main reason is, again, what? Purification, exactly. At least you're getting it with me, Barb. That's good. <laughs> it's mainly purification. So we read that every time the blood is sprinkled, whether on the altar or on people, the purpose is to cleanse people from their sins and purify them before the eyes of a holy and righteous God. Amen? All right. Now, if we go to Hebrews chapter 9, what does that mean? If we understand that the reason why the blood of Jesus needed to be shed so that we can be cleansed and purified before God is this. Um, um, well, for one, we have that scripture clearly telling us that uh, everything in the Old Testament was purified by blood. So the conclusion of that passage in Hebrews chapter 9, the author of Hebrews is kind of telling us, is giving us the, the study guide, you know, the, the notes for the exam. Why Moses sprinkled the blood on the altar and on the people? Why when he sanctified the tabernacle, he sprinkled blood on, on the vessels and on the building and on everything? Because everything almost, according to the New Testament, is purified by blood. So the whole reason the blood was used in the Old Testament while inaugurating the Old Covenant is to cleanse and purify the people and the book and the things and the building so God himself can enter into a covenant with us and actually dwell in that place. Amen? Now, that seems to be, that seems to be that, that the idea that a lot of Bible translators are going with. That's why that word, well or covenant, is actually translated as well. So many times in most of our translations. For example, the NIV translates this word always covenant. Every single time in the New Testament this word comes, they translate it as covenant. Except that one incident in Hebrews chapter 9. They switched it and they translated it as well. Because here they understand that the point of the, the author of Hebrews is not a reference to the Old Testament rituals of cutting a covenant. But it's rather the purpose of the covenant here is for purification. Amen? The ESV did almost the same thing. All, every single time that word is quoted in the New Testament, they translate it as covenant except twice. Here in Hebrews chapter 9 and the second example in uh, Galatians 3.17. That's when they translate it in Hebrews chapter 9 as well and in Galatians as law. But every single other time they translated as a covenant. So these people who the Greek scholars went way out of their way to, to change that word from the normal understanding from covenant to well. Because I think they want to tell us in a way that we understand this passage to be that it's not a reference to the Old Testament rituals of cutting a covenant. But the purpose of the blood is mainly for purification. Amen? Alright. It's not only... We see it stated clearly in Hebrews chapter 9. It's not only that a lot of Greek scholars go with that, but number 3 also. We can see that so many other scriptures, whenever the blood is connected to the covenant, there is always purification involved. There is always um, um, cleansing of sin. Let's see. Um, that would be, for example, um, where is that scripture? And, and Jesus, when he was... Um, give me one second here. I lost my notes. All right, so um, Matthew 26, 28, when Jesus was just referring to the, uh, making the, the Lord's Supper, he said, this is the blood of my new covenant which is shed for many. Why? For the remission of sins. So when Jesus made the connection, Jesus himself, when he made the connection between the blood 
and the covenant connected the blood for the reason of purification, right? Remissions of sin. So in a way, what Jesus was saying is this. This blood was must needed so your sins can be forgiven and you can be purified before God so God Almighty, the Holy and Righteous One, can ever think or consider enter into a relationship with you. Amen? Amen? All right. So that is the second way of understanding. And I think as we can see here, the weight of the evidence is actually going more toward that. That why the blood of Jesus was needed so we can enter into a covenant with God. Yes, it can be because it's a symbolic uh, split of the animal of how the Old Testament rituals of cutting a covenant is. But it's more likely that the blood of Jesus purified us before God. And because of that, now God can enter into a covenant with us. Amen? Now, there's one problem with that translation, and that's also in Hebrew. It's a difficult passage, as I mentioned earlier. The author of Hebrews said that the death of the one who established the covenant, who made the covenant, must be presented, right? Now, this is not going to be the case with us if we're going to understand this word here as well, not covenant. Because if we're going to say, follow me as much as you can, if we're going to say, that the blood of Jesus here was to purify us before God, then that phrase in Hebrews kind of off because the death of God really not established here because the point of the blood is purification, not the splitting of the animal and the person who made the covenant say, let that happen to me. So that's the only problem with it, okay? But there is no reason for us not to think that the author of Hebrews actually used that word playfully and on purpose. So it's kind of like alluding, referencing to the way of doing the Old Testament covenant, but he's actually telling us that the, the reason the blood needed is, is for us to be purified for God. So I would say it's more like 90% he's referring to the purification power of the blood of Jesus, but he's also kind of playing a little bit and trying to make us go back and remember how the Old Testament covenant were cut, correct? Because this word can actually go both ways, and I think the author of Hebrews did that on purpose. Amen? Good news I have for you. I'm done. <laughs> okay. Questions. I'm sorry I, 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 I hated to do this, but I, I couldn't find a, another way to go about this phrase, the blood of the covenant. So questions before we close. Yes? Are we going to acknowledge the third Sunday of Advent? We can. We can. Um, I don't know if we do anything special, but we can definitely do that. Okay. That's next, this Sunday or next Sunday? Okay. <laughs> do you want to do something after we after we pray? You want to kind of read something? Okay, let's do. It. You're up for that? Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's close in prayers. But let me just uh, mention this to you before we close. I have good news, really. Well, apart from me finishing, is this: the author of Hebrews is saying this that the covenant that we entered into with God that we're going to study more about next week. This covenant was established and made possibly only and legally binding only through the death of Christ. Because he said that the will can never take effect unless the one who wrote that will dies. And in a way, what the author of Hebrews is saying here, we could have never possibly entered into a covenant with God unless the death of his son was established. And because of that death, because of that blood, we can enter into a covenant with God. Amen? 
The blood of Jesus is the blood of the covenant. The blood of Jesus is the reason, the only possible way that we sinful people can ever enter into any sort of relationship with a holy and righteous God. Amen? Amen. Let's all close our eyes and pray.